everything has changed. Like everything in our life has changed. And really the only stable thing has been we write together, we edit together, we read together, which is sort of what we've always done, but now it's really on the same the same topic and the same ideas. And so that's how we kind of share everything that we're talking about and what we're doing and we're trying to help as many people as we can. Welcome to the Dream Chasers podcast. I am Samantha Ainsworth, and I have with me my first Zoomy guest, Miss um, Bess Stillman, out in uh, where you're in Scottsdale, mm-hmm. Arizona, Arizona, um, Arizona, <laughs> which is like a whole part of the thing. Uh, so Bess and I met a couple years ago because she was a soap customer, <laughs> and like within seconds became one of my favorite human beings on the entire planet. Um, so. Bess has had a very interesting um, history in terms of being a writer, um, being an award-winning moth performer. Uh, you may have seen her in a commercial for uh, Doctor Who. Oh, was it Doctor Who? That. Yeah, it was Doctor Who. Yeah, <laughs> I forgot all about that. Are you kidding? You're like, it's great. <laughs> I was super injured at the time. The way they edited it, it made my eyes look like I had just taken spice. So it was. <laughs> No, you're you're amazing, um, and is now uh, in Arizona chasing a little bit of a different dream, um, and so we're going to talk about all of those things. Um, she's also a fantastically funny writer and just exquisite human being um, who lets her weird new friends sleep on her couch when necessary. So, um, anyway, thank you bed. so much. I know it was a Murphy bed. It was a Murphy bed. Um, and you didn't die. That's what was. Important. I did not die. That was a Murphy better install. <laughs> I could have died, but I did not. Possible. Um, I did not. So, uh, and he did warn me that the screen was going to go blank, and that's okay. And he's checking on it. So, okay. um, I know sometimes I talk about the tech stuff as we I go because I'm so I'm so professional. I'm so professional. So, uh, as some of you may know, I do tend to start all of the episodes with a dramatic reading of um, Harlem by Langston Hughes. Um, I was in the shower one day and this poem came to me and it is, it is sort of in like the driving force of everything that's happened in my life since then. So Harlem by Langston Hughes, what happens to a dream deferred? Does it dry up like a raisin in the sun or fester like a sore and then run? Does it stink like rotten meat or crust and sugar over like a syrupy sweet? Maybe it just sags like a heavy load, or does it explode? So, Bess, my dear, when you think of dream chasing, what does that mean to you? Mm. Mostly means a lot of work. <laughs> it mostly like, means a lot of work because I'm a. Yeah, it's a lot of work, mostly. Like, I think dream chasing sounds like very fantastical. Like, I'm going to go, you know, the the idea of it sounds like great. I'm going to go write my three novels and I'm going to go, you know, start podcasts and I'm going to go, you know, do all these amazing things. And I'm going to have 85 hours in my day, even though you only have 24 hours in yours. 
And um, it all sounds really like wonderful. And I think a lot of times we think about dreams, we think about what happens once we achieve them and like how fun it is to get sort of the praise and the, oh, I've, I've, I've made it. But um, dream chasing usually means like having your butt in your seat for five hours editing the same line 10 times while your husband goes, just give the essay to me. It's done. Let me post it on the internet for you. And you're like, no. So that's, that's what dream chasing <laughs> means to me. I think, I think, there, I think there's a misconception that dreams are easy. <laughs> I think, I think some people think that. I think some people think, well, if, you know, if you love it, then it's not work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it depends on, I guess, on your definition of work. Like, right. It's, I've disagreed with that. I've always disagreed with like, if you, if you love it, that's a sign you should be doing it. Like the same as if it's easy, that's a sign you should be doing it for you. And like, I never, I never got that because like you and I were talking before, like with writing, um, I love to have written. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I love having written. I love love it. I love looking at it going, look at that. They're pretty. Look what I did. I love having written. The actual writing of it probably would never be televised on a Zoom. <laughs> I would be saying words. <laughs> People would be hearing them. I, I got into a weird... <sighs> I allowed myself to get dragged into a Facebook fight this week. No, don't argue. With a local... I know, I know, I know, I know better. I know better. I know better. But I allowed myself to get dragged into this Facebook fight this week with um, another local actress who shall remain nameless, but has directed me in a show in the past. Okay. And I had said that uh, auditioning for musicals are one of the fifth circles of hell. You know, <laughs> it's like Dante wrote about this shit. Like having to audition for a musical is like the, for me, yeah. is one of the circle, most awful right? tear inducing thing. Is it four circle? Is that what it is? Little guys that reach down your throat. And oh my God. Pull the writing out. <laughs> I hate being afraid of things. I hate being afraid of things. And so if I'm scared of it, I force myself to do it. That doesn't mean I enjoy it. It just means I force myself to do it. And so I had comment. And so a, a friend was directing a musical and was having a musical auditions. I went, Oh God, musical theater auditions. That's a circle of hell. And she was like, well, if it's that much torture for you, then you should leave it to those of us who cherish it. Okay. First off, <laughs> going up to a woman at a store whose toddler is having a tantrum and being like relish these moments moments. fuck off just fuck off like you can love something to your core yeah and hate it at the same time like and yeah so i feel like dream chasing is like that like you can you can love all of it and hate all of it all at the same time and it's hard you want to do right by it and so yeah you're just harder on yourself. I'm just always, I'm just like naturally way too hard on myself anyway. Like even by sort of the general standards of hard on yourself, I like take it to like a new level of hobby. Um, <laughs> we got an hour in the day left. Like, excuse me, if I'm going to be tortured, um, we're going to do this shit right. Yeah. <laughs> I got it. Excuse me. I got this. Let me take excuse me. you right now. <laughs> you are clearly not tortured enough. I don't see any blood. Uh, yeah. So <laughs> My hair's just gone under this. It's fine. <laughs> uh, yeah so um so people do have that idea that that it should just be easy um and it's funny like for me like sometimes the hardest thing in the world is just <sighs> makeup 
How do you do like makeup? It's like <laughs> sometimes that will be the thing that stops me. Like like it sometimes it's the thing that stops me from doing like a Facebook live or something for the company, or it's the thing that stops me from getting a self tape done that day. Is I just don't want to put. <laughs> fucking effort into putting makeup on i don't want to sit and stare at my face for 20 minutes i just like i don't want to do it if i was wealthy and i could have someone else do it for me <laughs> be all by, well, i, I never had to do my makeup. hair or makeup ever again or decide when i'm wearing myself i could i could conquer the world but sometimes that's the thing that stops me um so what's the thing that stops you sometimes oh gosh other than just my own self-critical voice I mean, a lot of times that's, that's what it was for a really long time. Um, I would say a lot of it was, I'm a terrible judge of my own work, like terrible judge of my own work. And I've sort of come to accept that. Like I need to write something, anything and give it to someone, someone being Jake who edits for me. That's my husband. And he will be like, I will tell you what makes sense. Like you can't, I will right. tell you if this makes sense or if it doesn't, because I will just, I'll put something down. And I'll think about it, but I, I will have no, like, I have to really put it away for a while before I have any sense of sort of like reality as to what it is. You have to distance so yourself from it a little bit. I tend to stop myself. So yeah. having tools like that to, I guess, stop myself from stopping myself are the biggest thing. But that's that's really what it is, um, is mostly just feeling it's not good enough or it's not this or it's not that. But you're not going to get better by not doing it either. So it just becomes this doom loop. Um of this writer doom loop and so having outside deadlines and things where i've expected to produce helps sort of shut that up because i've committed to doing a show and i have to talk at the microphone and i'm much more afraid of the audience than i am afraid of my own opinion at that right (laughs) (laughs) they're looking at me um with writing it's a little bit different because nobody's looking at me right away and just gets sent out into the world so Really, I have to stop myself before anything else does. If I can get past Does myself, it stop you from the creation of it or does it stop you from the submission of it? No, from the creation of it. Okay. From the creation of it. Yeah, I'm actually not. Um, it's weird. Like once it's out in the world, it's out in the world. And I'm, I like love getting positive feedback. That really helps. But most of the positive feedback helps me feel like I'm recalibrating my sense of what is crap and what isn't. And as Jake would like to say, none of it's crap. Stop talking like that. But that's like sort of that that voice that you get in your head. So for me, the positive feedback really helps me sort of learn, oh, I shouldn't have been so hard on this. Or, oh, that part that I thought wasn't working, people liked. But, but the actual just like sending it out and having it be out there in the world, that's actually okay with. Like That's what, yeah, I'm, I'm much the same. Fine with, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm much the same. Like it's... I have discovered, and it sounds very similar, I have discovered that the more I hate it, the more everyone else seems to like it. <laughs> oh, I, have no, I have no sense of it. Some things I'll love. And no sense. Love. Some things I'll like your work desperately on, and people are like, it's nice. <laughs> and some things you're like, just pop out in 20 minutes and like, that was really your best work. And you're like, why am I spending so much time on this? And so there's no, there's no really. I'm taking this. I, I just took this acting class it's like it's my i just took one i took i ordered this one class this week and it's all about making your um acting performance cinematic right so i am an overly expressive person 
I don't know if you've noticed this about me. Uh, yeah. Just like, just in general, just in general, I am just, I'm large, just in general, I'm big. And so, and I've done tons and tons and tons and tons of script analysis and character analysis and like character creation stuff and what's the arc of the story and blah, fucking blah, blah, that no one actually cares about except for actors, right? So this class is all about taking all of that shit yeah. and zeroing it, right? So, okay, we've spent six months analyzing the script, bring it down to one word and then take that one word and figure out what physical action you could be imagining those words doing to that other person and just do that. And it was the most horrible feeling thing. Like, as I was doing it, I'm like, this is the dumbest fucking thing. I feel like really stupid. I'm just stupid. Kill your darlings when you're writing. Right, 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 right. And so it felt awful. Oh. I tried, no, but I like, I, I like, I'm leaning in. I'm, I'm trusting the process. I'm leaning in. And then I watched the tape when I was done. And I was like, I have never been so good in my life. Fuck. Yeah. I, ca- I, I, I cannot be trusted with my own opinion of my work. No. So and the thing is, I think I can be trusted with like the work I put into it, which is interesting. But then like there comes a point where <clears throat> I'm just going to grind and need... I'm just a very yeah. like a collaborative person in that way. Like I need yeah. someone else to look at something. Yeah. While I'm doing it. That's fair. I, I mean, I, 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 no, I think that's 100% fair. Yeah. Um, I think it's, I think it's a, a misconception that we're supposed to be our own little islands. Cause mm-hmm. I don't think anyone really is. No. Um, and every famous writer that's ever, every famous male writer that's ever been has had a wife who's been editing for him. Yep. And Jake and I oh, edit yeah. for each other, which is really, Nice, and he knows my brain really well, and so he can, like, he'll take something that I think is, like, I'll be really frustrated with it, and it's like, oh, this is terrible, something's just not flowing right, and then he'll get to it, sorry, and he'll make what he thinks are pretty minor changes, but just by, like, having somebody else sort of, that you trust, and whose work you, like, sprinkle a little fairy dust on, that you're like, oh, suddenly it it looks different, so the coaching is important. Speaking of Jake, yeah. So um, there's a lot going on with Jake and you right now. Yeah. Um, and so I, I mean, I personally know some of the history of what's going on, but our folks don't. And so I will allow you to. <laughs> and it's okay that you're coughing because I'll talk to you part of what's going on. So, um, so you guys have a sort of joint blog thing right now. We're separate. Wait, you guys, are, you, are, you, are they separate or are they separate together? Now, Originally I started, so, sorry, <clears throat> got something in my throat. That's okay. <clears throat> so um, Jake has been blogging on the story story for as long as I've known him. So for like the last 15 years um, at jakeselliger.com, he blogs. And I started writing a little bit on his, and I'll give the background of how that started. And then I split off and, and switched to having my own Substack, right. And so now we're both writing because we started writing a lot and it became hard to do it sort of on the same platform. And so we decided to have two, but we link to each other at least 12 times a post. That's probably why, that's probably why I was, I was thinking they were together because I, I, I sometimes, yeah. like, I think I see them all on yours. 
Um, but sometimes I see his and sometimes I see yours. I post his too and vice versa. So Right. So <clears throat> you guys are on a little bit of a journey right now um, with Jake's cancer. Mm-hmm. And then, um, again, I'll let you discuss as much as you want to about that. Yeah. And then as an outside observer to it, it is it is heartbreaking and emotional and brave and fascinating to watch you guys both navigate what you're going through in terms of his illness, the issues that you've been having with your throat, um, all at the same time, um, your reactions to his you know, um, conditions and then treatments and all of that stuff. And then his reactions to your reactions to what's going on with him. So like most folks don't get to have those conversations. And I don't know if you guys are actually having those conversations with each other, but you're definitely having them in writing. And so I, I think it's an extraordinarily important conversation that you're having with each other. And it is our honor to get to be witness to that because I, th- I think that too often folks can't have those conversations. So um, I will let you talk about those things as much as you feel comfortable. So I may feel very comfortable talking about them. Um, we write, we're pretty much as non-private as you can get with these essays. Um, so basically since people don't know, so my husband Jake was diagnosed with a squamous cell cancer of the tongue um, in, wow, that would have been October 2022 now. Um, uh, no risk factors, um, not a viral mediated one either. So just came out of nowhere. Doesn't smoke, doesn't really drink, eats right. really healthy. Um, <clears throat> sorry. And it just <clears throat> thought it was biting his tongue. Thought he bit his tongue. I looked, didn't see anything. And a few months later, saw him bite it again. I was like, let's take a look at that. Let me, let's see. I I looked and I could see it wasn't right. I could see it wasn't right. Um, There's a thing called leukoplakia, which is like a precancerous lesion that we learned about in med school. And I was like, oh, that's, why would he have that? It just did not compute. It's like when you see something that's exactly textbook in front of you, but it doesn't make any sense. And so I was like, well, okay, okay. He's got some weird precancerous thing. We'll have it removed. This is going to be a a pain, but we'll watch it. And it it ended up being a pretty invasive cancer. Um, So he had surgery to remove the tumor um, that October. And we thought we were done because we were told basically, like, you can cut it out. They got clean margins. Surgeon, Um, They'd followed up with radiation. And that was tough, but he did pretty good. Like considering radiation of the, the mouth, he handled it amazingly well. Um, and then it was difficult, but we thought it was over. And then on his first PET scan, just a few months after that, um, it, it was a hot scan and it had come back. It wasn't clear at first. He had biopsy after biopsy. They all looked okay. He got a surgical biopsy and found out it was back. And recurrent, um, squamous cell cancer of the tongue is, nasty it's nasty right. and he had some really high risk features that i don't think we really fully I, i'm an er doc so i'm not an oncologist although i feel like one right. now 
Um, but you, but being a doctor yeah. and having gone through medical school, like there's things that you know to look for and even, but there's yeah, but lot, even like, and then you miss some too as well. There's a lot that just don't do. Like I, I understanding sort of the, the percentage risk factor, something called perineural invasion, which is when the cancer goes onto like the nerve and basically can travel on the nerve. I knew what it was, but in terms right. of it doesn't affect my practice at all. It's not right. something that I ever look at or do. I don't biopsy people in the emergency room. Like if you've got a, right. a mass on your neck, I just need to make sure you're breathing and not bleeding. And then send them on to somebody else. Somebody else has to do <laughs> the rest of that. I will intubate you and I will stop your right. bleeding. And then I need some help. But right. um, so this was, this was, this was nasty. And so he had um, to have another surgery and versus more, chemo radiation for recurrence is just not curative and we wanted the best chance he was only 39 at the time um now we're both 40 oh my um looking amazing so thank you so he ah, this one's hard so he we talked about what to do because there was immunotherapy and that only treats maybe about 20 to 30 percent of people if you're lucky and the chemo's palliative so really the best chance was for it to come out um at least that we thought and they said they were gonna have to remove half his tongue and replace that with a flap made from tissue from the thigh it's pretty cool surgery um to finish a long story basically they went in the tumor was very aggressive um it had grown just exponentially in the time between finding out what had happened and the scheduled surgery which they actually moved by a few weeks because he was just struggling so much and was getting right. these terrible headaches. They went in, they did the surgery, and instead of removing half the tongue, they had to remove the whole tongue, which right. neither of us were expecting. Right, I'm ready all, for it. At all. Right. Um, we hadn't really been prepared for that as a distinct possibility. And so after that, about two months after that, it was that was a difficult time and I stayed basically lived with him in the hospital and was working commuting from the hospital bed downstairs to my shifts and then back upstairs so she's not oh you were so you were working at the same somehow I missed that that you were at the same hospital hospital. okay so I would go upstairs (sighs) to the ICU where he was staying and because we moved the surgery up so I wasn't off during that time and I was there during the surgery and then would go down. I would work my shift and then I would go back up stairs and basically live in the, in the hospital room. And we actually, um, it was a really intense time. Um, we did a lot of talking about sort of the difficult things even before the surgery, because there was the question of, does he have the surgery? Does he want to try to salvage as much tongue as he can and try the immunotherapy. And so even before the surgery, we started those conversations of what does it look like if I don't want to take this risk? What does it look like if, you know, I want to just do this treatment? And we started having those really hard conversations together. Um, And that really kept happening even after the surgery, even by typing while he was there and afterwards. And we just sort of kept having them. We actually got married the night before his surgery. I don't know if I... Right. No, yeah. I, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Yeah, that was it. We've been together a really long time, but we got like officially married the night before his surgery. Um, and yeah, and so we've just kept having those conversations. And that's how a lot of the writing 
started, we decided that basically like we'd leave nothing left unsaid to each other. And, um, two months after the surgery, uh, the, the tumors came back, like a lot of them. He had like six of them and mets to his lungs. And we thought he maybe had weeks at how aggressive it was. And so, um, we issued two things. We issued a moratorium on banalities. So no one was allowed to come and talk about anything like the weather or dogs, unless they brought their dog and we wanted to pet their dog that we, that much didn't change. That's different. Um, And so it was only really talking about the things that were important. And one day we were sitting and he had started writing because that's what he does on his blog. And he said to me, you, I was like, maybe I should write something. And he looks at me and he goes, well, what's, you should write what it's like being married to a dying man. And so that was the first of the posts, um, was what it's like being, what's it like being married to a dying man. And so I wrote about that and then we just kind of kept writing. And so for the last six months, really our project has been these essays that we've both been writing about everything that's happening. Um, Obviously, he lasted more than a few weeks since it's been six yeah. months, but we found a <clears throat> a clinical trial um, that he's in. And so it's just everything has changed, like everything in our life has changed. And really, the only stable thing has been we write together, we edit together, we read together, which is sort of what we've always done. But now it's really on the same the same topic and the same ideas. And so that's how we kind of share everything that we're talking about and what we're doing. And we're trying to help as many people as we can and yeah. share what's going on as a way of sharing it with friends and family, but also with trying to like reach out to as many people as we can. And we've been sort of, yeah. I mean, it, it, it is, it is like a long, extraordinarily <laughs> beautiful gift that you're No, shush. This is exactly what we wanted to talk about. Um, it's a beautiful gift that you're giving each other to have this because you know, eventually, but you'll have this. Mm-hmm. And so many, and I, and I think you even said it in, in, in one of the blogs that, you know, so many people leave the, all these things unsaid and then they spend however long regretting not having said it yeah. while they still have the person. Yeah. And you've been able to do that for each other. Mm-hmm. And so you have those things from him that you'll then be able to carry with you. Yeah. And, but also, yeah. I feel like you're also teaching people how to have those really super difficult conversations with their loved ones by, by doing this in this really public way, but it's private. At the same. Like it's, it's, it's weird because they feel very private. Um, especially, I mean, especially his, like yours are, yours are very much like, okay, here's what I'm going through. And his are like, it almost feels like thoughts out loud. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, which I'm sure it's, you know, um, but having both of those angles of this same event that's happening, um, for the rest of us who are watching you both navigate this and are, you know, halfway across the country going, I don't know how to hug you right now. Um, if I had the money, I would be in Arizona, you know, like, I, I don't know how to hug you right now. Um, but it helps us to know it's okay to talk about it because sometimes people don't want to talk about it. A lot you know. of people don't, it's hard to talk about. I think we'd said we'd never, and what we've said to each other isn't, you know, obviously the same as what we're 
we're writing, we're writing a lot about our experiences and our thoughts. And we've talked about having those conversations and a little bit about what's in them. But I think it's important to sort of normalize. We do a really bad job. It's okay. We do a really bad job on death and dying. Um, in modern times we do, we don't talk about it. It seems very taboo. And even in medicine, I find that a lot of times people haven't had the hospice conversation with their doctors or people have been like kicking a lot of the can down the road. And I find myself having those really hard conversations with people. And I, that's something I've taken on a lot myself, um, in medicine. Like I always try like, has anyone had this conversation with you? If not, we should have it right now. And so yeah. I've kind of been practicing having those kinds of conversations with people for a long time because I think they're important. I just never thought that I would be having those conversations with, you know, at 40 with my husband and a lot of it is we share what we're thinking because I don't know, you know, if you're going to write about it, I think you have to be honest about it. Otherwise, I mean, I guess it could just be fiction, but it feels, it doesn't feel strange sort of sharing those things. You know, Jake talks really openly about feeling suicidal after the surgery. You know, I talk really openly about intrusive thoughts I've had and about sort of just the, the weird following him around the house. (laughs) Wait, which? Well, you start talking about following him around the house. Like not wanting to say, yeah, I follow him like crazy. Like I've been printed on him like a duckling. Like we are basically, (laughs) we have, we have basically mind melded. We were before, but now it's like really, because we spend all our time together. And so I think it's okay to say to people, you know, what you're thinking and and what's going on. It's, it's hard. It's hard. And it just feels, it feels fine being honest. You know, it's interesting. Some people have said like, Oh, is it like cathartic to write about it? And is it an outlet? And I don't know exactly. It's not that I necessarily like feel better about doing it. It's not therapy. Right. Um, But it feels really important. And it feels like we have this really horrible vantage point that a lot of people don't have the combination of Well, everything, the combination of everything and sort of also the uniqueness of his cancer and what he's going through, which he writes so beautifully about, right. um, that it feels important to share it. And especially as we've sort of dealt with the medical system and sort of dealt with trying to find clinical trials and how to advocate, there's so much that even me as a doctor in the medical system didn't realize Right. What was going to happen, how to do, we basically had to double, triple check everything, the advocates for care. We found the trial, all of that. And it's been sort of a crash course. And so the more that we can document that and explain to people exactly what we went through in the hopes that they can sort of read that. That's what I was reading with the clinical trial series. If somebody reads that all the way through, they're going to be horrified, (laughs) But they're also going to maybe have a better idea of what they need to do if they have a yeah. diagnosis. And so I, I remember re- reading uh, one of the first ones and going, holy shit, if she can't figure this out. Yeah. Like I would be just screwed. You know what I mean? Because I because I don't know anything about that that aspect of it. I, I wouldn't know the right words to say. I wouldn't know the right people to talk to. And and in a lot of ways you do. And it was still just incredibly complicated. Yeah. And it shouldn't be that hard. Yeah. You it know, um, and, and it shouldn't. And the FDA shouldn't be making it so hard for people who are terminal to get access to drugs. It's so, and so if we can yeah. use the writing now as a platform for helping people figure out what to do and trying to get FDA reform because they're killing people and they're 
piling up in the invisible graveyard and dead people can't write essays about it complaining. <laughs> and so the more we can write, I think now, the better. We're working on a joint memoir to that end, sort of based on the essays, but going a little bit deeper. And so if people can find it easier to, you know, to get into a trial, if people can read our essays and figure out a better way to talk to their doctor or understand what questions they have to ask, if they can yeah. understand sort of the, you know, when, when Jake had the total glossectomy, I went online to try to find some writing about it. Like, how are people living with this? And there really wasn't anything. All I found was a Reddit Ask Me Anything about somebody who had had a total glossectomy and their information was actually really good. Even though it was Reddit, it was really helpful, but there wasn't really a lot more on there. And I think Jake writing so honestly about it, instead of being like, here's the cancer narrative of, you know, hope and fight. He talks about, right. you know, this is what's awful. Sometimes suffering is suffering, but this is what to expect. And this is what I'm feeling. And I kind of go about it the same way. Like, yeah, there's hope for a future, but mostly, you know, sometimes you just have to, you know, write a lot about what you're losing and how that feels and that that's okay to have those conversations. Um, so yeah, I don't know. We're just, we're just talking. <laughs> I will say, um, having read those and I, and I've shared a couple of those with Bruce that it is, created sort of an opportunity for Bruce and I to have some tricky conversations because, you know, we're not in like an active, you know, medical emergency mode. But I, you know, I have been having this ongoing series of these weird ass migraines that we're starting to finally figure out what they are. Um, hemiplegic migraines that for years I thought was blood sugar issues or TIAs or whatever. Um, But they're scary, and and so having having your essays and just realizing, okay, they're in the midst of this thing, and they're having to navigate this now, and have these tough conversations now about like end of life care and hospice care, and you know wishes for what that would look like, you know, when, when maybe I don't have a voice anymore, um, is has been extraordinarily helpful for us to navigate those conversations you know so there's like a little a little bit of a precedent set okay. there and I and well and if I think if I'm doing it I'm, I'm sure other people are doing it as well um it's an unfortunate reality when someone's going through a hard time sometimes other people look at that and go oh we should probably have this conversation <laughs> you know but because you're being so beautiful and open and honest about it I feel like it it leads by example like we can have these conversations because other folks have had these conversations and they've survived them, you know? Um, so from a very selfish standpoint, you know, I appreciate it, but also just cause I don't want to bring banality into your life. Right. So like, so I kind of like look at them and go, okay, is she up for my shit right now? Does she want to listen to the crap I have to say? Right? Nope. Nope. I'm going to wait. I'm going to, I'm going to send her something with duckies. <laughs> So animal videos are always okay. Like, okay. There's still like my, my, one of my very good friends is a psychiatrist said like, this is totally a fine time for compartmentalization and denial. Um, and some animal videos. Like we're we're fine with that. Okay. Well, animal, then animal videos. Um, you got it. I I have, I have all kinds of fun chicken and ducky videos. (laughs) I feel like kitty cat videos are overdone, but, uh, but chicken and duckies. Ducks would, ducks would be fine. 
yeah, it's on. It is on. So, okay. But it's an interesting thing to, like, you know, you were talking, you asked me about, like, sort of dreams before. I was just thinking it's an interesting thing that, like, we are doing more reading and writing and editing of each other's stuff and together now that we have sort of a a, a deadline, like I was mentioning, that helps. We have a, a bigger deadline and we always wanted to write these books together and finish these things. And now we're really hustling to do them um, because right. we don't have much time for it. Yeah. We so on top of this stuff going on with Jake, you've been having throat stuff. I did. I had a vocal cyst removed. So. Did the irony of you losing your voice in the midst of this hit you as hard as it hit me? <laughs> I was just like, oh, yeah. Like, Here's these people who have a platform for using their voice and they both currently are losing their voice. Like, what the hell is going on in the world that this is happening? Well, luckily we write more than anything. So we were OK. I could still type. <laughs> Although the week that I got the vocal cyst removed, I sprayed my wrist so I couldn't type at all for a little bit and I couldn't talk. And I was just like sitting there going. Oh my god! <laughs> so yeah, we're keeping I, yeah. Up the <sighs> business. Oh my god! So, but is, is that? Are you doing? So it's assist. Mm-hmm. I had assist on your on your vocal. I've had assist on my vocal yeah. cord. That's weird. Yeah, in it they're annoying. They're terrible, and they don't they, go away with vocal therapy because they're they do not. Did you have yours taken out? No, mine ruptured. That's oh, how I found out I had it. It's always grown back. It's so oh my god. So yeah, mine ruptured and it created like this teeny, teeny, tiny tear on my vocal cord. Then then I had to do like the whole uh, collagen injection thing. And then I've had nodes multiple times, but I've not had polyps, but I've had nodes multiple times. They thought this was a node for a really long time. Yeah. So there was a lot of self-blame there. Like, why can't I talk quieter or do my speech therapy? But nothing was going to... I remember sitting in your living room um, in, in New York and you were just like, oh, my voice... Yeah. Because you were talking about how your voice always goes out on you every time you try to do something. Okay. And, and you were very much self-blaming that, that you were doing that it wrong. told me, like, if you use your voice wrong, you get nodules. But I got misdiagnosed and I was yelling because all the time, well, I'm loud in general, but because to get the vocal cords to slam together, because that cyst was in the way. So they took pictures yeah. of it. I actually just wrote an essay about it, about the week. Uh, I, yeah. Well, and I... I have loads of uh, photos of my vocal cords, and I think it's hysterical how much your vocal cords look like a vagina. <laughs> yeah, it's I sent so I, I sent a picture right after the surgery because they had taken some pictures down the scope of the cyst being taken out, and it looked like this yep. little golden egg. And I was like, "Ooh, it's like all the secrets I never told, but like they're stuck there in a little lump. You can just take them out." Um, they wouldn't let me keep it, frustratingly. Um, Why? Did they have to biopsy it? Yeah, all the biohazard, medical waste, blah. It's blah, yours. Blah. It's fine. I grew it. It's mine. They wouldn't let me. Ha- they wouldn't keep, let me keep my um, fallopian tube either. They never let you keep I wanted, anything fun. No, we're terrible. I wanted to keep my fallopian like, tube. Like, I think you, you finders keepers should not be how medical things work. I think they should biopsy it and stick it in a little jar of formaldehyde and give it to you. Yes, thank you. If you ask for it. <laughs> I'm like, but I, like I know women who keep their um, placentas, and sometimes that's hard to get. Sometimes okay, dogs don't want to. Yeah, I, I, did, yeah. I did keep my kidney stone when I passed it. I was like, I should make a little ring, some jewelry, <laughs> a I big one. I could make ear stu- I could make studs out of them. Be- oh my god, I've never, I've never had a kidney stone. 
But yeah, no, they Knock had on, to say how to I don't recommend it. But yeah, they took it out no. and I couldn't say anything for like 10 days, seven days. And it was then like only like a few words for the next few. This is the most I've talked at any one point actually since December 21st when I had the surgery. But I was really paranoid because Jake, I was worried about not being able to make phone calls or if there was an emergency. So right. we actually scheduled it right after Jake had scans every two months. And so we scheduled it right after the last scan. So the idea was that if it was, if it was stable on the clinical trial medication that he's on, then I'll get it. And we should have like 10 safe days where I can't say anything. Right. So you didn't have to necessarily be his voice. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. You've been very much in my mind yeah. lately. So, but I've had nothing but bad news on my end. So <laughs> to your nonsense I was just like I'm gonna wait till I have some good news Um, from people though but like we want to hear about you like it's not we're not no I know no I I I will admit that I was like with the whole lawsuit company thing I was just like super dark yeah and um I was not fit for public consumption and so sometimes even just the podcast recording was about as much positivity as I could manage <laughs> in a day. So, uh, yeah. Um, but I'm definitely coming out of the other end of that. So you'll be able to hear from me more because I, I, I won't feel like I'm raining on everybody's parade. So I'll have your bio. Our parade I'm is. Your bio. So, um, <laughs> okay. So we met because uh, you were a customer for like half a second. And there was like an issue with a, a shipment or we were, mm-hmm. we were chat somehow we were chatting. Mm-hmm. I hadn't even ordered yet. Was I, that what it was? We, we were chatting. Facebook messaged you. I was like, Ooh, so, and I Facebook messaged you about like, if I could have, cause you said like about a certain sample. I was like, Ooh, what smell do I want to try? I was like, is that what it was? And I, was and like, I, I just I remember, try? like, and then you we were chatting on Facebook, and then like, it was like an hour later. We were so- that was just, I just <laughs> asked you about a soap sample, and so I was going to order, and I was like, "Oh, can I try this one?" And I don't remember what happened, but like, it was like two hours later, and Jake's like, "What are you? Who are you talking to?" <laughs> Bruce was doing, like, "Who are you talking to?" I'm like, "Oh, I'm just talking to a customer." I think I love her. All right. I, I, I meet people in the weirdest ways. So there's that. So you had, you won the moth. You like you won. Okay, I did a lot of storytelling when we were living back in New York and they, I did the, I won a, grand, a couple of grand slams. So that was fun. So, you so what, so what exactly is a, a moth grand, grand slam? What so exactly is that? It's a podcast um, and a storytelling show. And so you go, you put your name in it. Well, there's two ways to do it. You can either pitch them a story and you do it at one of the, like the live sort of curated shows on stage. Or you go to a show, they have a theme, you put your name in a hat, they pick 10 people, and then they have like judges in the audience. Like it's just, it, it's people who are listening and they are, they have three of them and they'll pick judging groups for the night and it's all in good fun and they give you sort of a score for your story. And if you win the night, the best story of the night, you go on to the Grand Slam and then they give you another theme and you tell another story and it repeats. And so, um, so I've done two of the Grand Slams and I won both of them. So that was fun. And that got me started on doing a lot of the the storytelling. Um, and I did most of my writing because, again, self-critic um, right. for them because deadline, audience. Yep. And so. There's something about having like having to like 
Do you find that self-imposed self-imposed deadlines work as well for you, or do you need an external one? Um, a little bit now. I mean, I've I've spent basically the last six months doing nothing but writing, and uh, you know, a lot of it is that I've Jake's been trying to get me to write more for years, and I've been wanting to, and I haven't. And really, right now, I just want to. I mean, I think I'd say I guess deadlines do help because this is sort of the the biggest deadline. Like Jake and I have always edited for each other he's half my thoughts and so I feel now like I have to get as much written as humanly possible while he's still here before like half my brain goes and so right. yeah I mean I guess in terms of that being a deadline it's been trying to get out at least a new essay every week as well as a lot of stuff I've written that hasn't gone up um, and won't for a while um, and work on a book and all this other stuff so yeah deadlines help the self-imposed ones kind of do yeah, but I guess this one isn't really self-imposed in a way. It's you know, <laughs> I mean, I'm, yes I'm kind and of no. self-imposing. Like I want an essay out every week. Yeah, but you know, the external deadlines count a lot. But I've gotten really existential about it, and you know, then I, 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 when I turned forty, I did the math on how many good writing years I might have left, and that feels like a deadline. <laughs> So, you can write for a long time. I mean, like people write well into their nineties. You can, but that's not that much time. None of it's that much time. Hey, I had the realization the other day that neither of my grandmothers lived past 78, which seems decent until you think about the fact that for me, 78 is 25 years from now. Yeah, none of it feels that long. Yeah. Like 15 years sounds like a long time. Yeah. With nothing. Yeah. And it's so. Is that how long you guys been together? Fifteen. Yeah. Bruce and I at fourteen. Yeah. Fifteenth anniversary. Actually, this is my this is my anniversary present. Um, but he gave that to me in July when we thought we would, we didn't think we would make it to anniversary birthday right. writing together six months together all that we just didn't think so time is you know my yeah. my mom always said that my grandmother always said that and I was just like oh yeah okay. Like you give yeah, it right now. I'm sure it's, yeah, I'm sure it's even faster right now. What are, what are some things? And again, if it's under my business, you can tell me, shut the fuck up. But, um, what, are, what are some things that you are finding that you are doing differently now? Um, now that there's this weird sort of finality looming and you don't know, um, are there are there ways that you've changed how you handle your days or um just the way you interact or i mean i know you said like no no banalities but like um just sort of like day-to-day general stuff you know it's funny i actually just i have a post on this coming out on monday (laughs) oh well there you go i didn't know Um, there you go i mean in a way the biggest change was really the amount of time we've spent together because I was able to take leave. Um, I stayed on, I stayed working after the surgery for the first few months, even though he was going to be getting some chemo to try to sterilize the field because, you know, it was all supposed to be it's sort of extra curative. And, and when the tumors came back, I, I was luckily able, my job was nice enough to put me, give me leave and extended leave. And I went from spending a lot of time working to basically every day with Jake. And we sort of fell into a really easy rhythm. We've always been really good about 
kind of like toddlers with parallel play. Um, we're good at just sort of sitting together and reading together and writing together and doing together. And it's always been pretty simple. And we just kind of fell into that rhythm, um, especially once we started writing really seriously together. That's what we do. We wake up. We, well, now he can swallow, which is great, slurries and liquids. Yeah. So we'll have like a little breakfast and we'll go on a walk and we'll write and we'll go on a walk and we'll read and we'll go on a walk and we'll do dinner and we'll go on a walk and then we sleep and we repeat and we just do that every day. I mean, and in between it, you know, we learn how to find clinical trials and, <laughs> you know, he's, we, we travel to San Diego, which is where he's in the clinical trial every two weeks to, to get the treatments, which is a whole other part of our life. that has been very difficult, but right. you know, thank goodness he can get the treatment there. So every day has been really, we try to keep it as similar as possible. We're just spending that time together and it's, easy. I mean, we're really lucky too. I know that not everybody, everybody reacts differently. Jake is a bit of a, Jake's very much a stoic and likes to not, he sort of takes things day by day. Like he tries to not suffer things before he has to suffer them. Otherwise you suffer them twice. Very, very, you know, sort of Seneca forward in his way of seeing things. I try, I fail to be anywhere near as stoic i worry about him a lot i have a lot of anxiety and so it, it could go a lot of different ways you know some people close up and i see this all the time with people i take care of people close up people don't want to talk i'm in a lot of i was and i, I don't really go to them anymore in some like, sort of facebook support groups for like doctors with spouses and, and kids with cancer and there's a lot of people who say like my husband won't talk to me. He gets angry. Everyone's frustrated. No one's, you know, no one's having these conversations. And by all allowances, you know, Jake has every right to have reacted that way, but he didn't. And, and I didn't either. And neither of us shied away from what was going on. And I don't know. I don't think any of us could have predicted how we were going to react to mm-hmm. this. Like you like to think you'll react one way. You don't know until you're in the moment. And really, right. you never know. We've turned inward towards each other so much that it's just been such a gift and like it's really just it's really just been about that time with each other and saying everything that we can and working it out so we're really leaving nothing left unsaid and that's just such an amazing thing and I know a lot of people don't have that or people are too afraid to talk like that and he is just the toughest person I've ever met and I think I'm not doing too shabby of a job myself. Um, but we've really just turned inwards towards each other. And every day has yeah. been like that. I actually have to go back to work in March. And I'm lucky that we even have that as an option right now, that things are stable. Um, and so that'll be just so strange. Like spending yeah. time with people who aren't Jake. But we've really had this amazing yeah, just amazing six months. And I think that's really been the difference because we've always been close, but this has been just, I mean, and when do you do that? I mean, you would be exhausted. Listen, the conversations that we had in July when we thought he wasn't going to survive to September were exhausting. I'm sure. I've never cried that much in my life. It was just like so intense all the time. Like, and I don't think you can live at that level of intensity permanently, but it was a real, it, it's been a real gift to have in the way that we talk to each other. It's just, 
Like, I would love another 20 years like this. Like, who knew that you could talk like this to another person? Um, and so I think that when you say, like, the writing feels really private, I think it's because we've sort of practiced, like, not hiding stuff and just saying things very bluntly. And I think that's turned, that's changed the way that we talk to a lot of the people in our lives. It's very blunt and it's a lot. Like, it's too much for some people. I hope yeah. you learn. But I, you know, bully on okay. them. That's okay. Too. Um, yeah. So that's day after day. It's been really the same. And I want boring. I want boring so badly. Like the excitement is never good. <laughs> we want boring. I, I appreciate. I've always appreciated you as a human, right? Like I've just, I've always like okay. since the minute we chatted, I have just. You make my life better just by existing. Aww. And so, um, so I appreciate you as a human. I cannot tell you how proud I am of how you guys are handling this because to me, in, in, in my, in my opinion, how you guys are handling this really tough time should be the standard. You know what I mean? This, this is how, like, I would hope that if I was in this situation that I would handle it with as much grace and beauty and love and understanding and connection as the two of you are managing to do this. It, and, and the fact that you are including us all in this, I hate, I do really hate the word journey because it sounds so fucking uppity, but like, but the fact that you're, you're, but you are like this, this weird event that's happened, like you're including all of us in this, in this beautiful, personal, heartbreaking, tragic, awful, gorgeous way is, is a gift that we could not ever possibly repay, you know? So I am extraordinarily grateful for you as a human and i want to make some stupid joke and it doesn't feel appropriate right now <laughs> just like I mean, um but i want to say something inappropriate about your boobs like i just shouldn't right now so um but that shirt looks fabulous i'm just saying <laughs> um they look very symmetrical right now <laughs> Sorry, thank you thank you you're very welcome um but yeah i, I I'm, I'm so glad that you exist and um and i'm glad jake exists and we will own it and honor it and be grateful for every second that we get um i am here for you even when i'm in my weird darkness over there um i hope you know i hope you know that i'm always here for you and i appreciate you you know i know it's a little ouchy right now um talking with us today I've got to work on it. I was actually told for the first time in my life um, by my doctor that I need to talk more. There you go. Jake was like, there you go. see, I told you that. I'm here for you. <laughs> I gave you a vehicle by which to blather. Um, yeah. So I, I, I just, I so appreciate Like dreams are weird, man. And sometimes they take a, a weird turn and, and you guys wanted to write together and not necessarily in this way. But it's, it's beautiful. It's, it's absolutely beautiful. And I hope that you know that the, the difference that what you guys are doing is making in the world. And um, I, for one, I'm glad that you're here. So blah, 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 blah. Uh, 
I'm sorry you were having all the Zoomy issues at the beginning. Um, is there anything else that you would like to tell my 14, <laughs> my 14 listeners? Because we have 14 now. It's super exciting. Um, is there anything that, that you would like them to know about you, about Jake, about um, what's next? Okay, I guess what's next, we're, 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 uh, we're pitching a, a joint memoir. So I guess write your big five publishing companies and let them know that you want me. Yeah, there you go. It would be, okay. it would be really, yeah. I guess that's all coming is we're, we're working on that together. We're just going to keep, we're just, yeah, we're just, just continuing on. Um, if people want to read and let people know how to find yep. the, so Jake, writes at jakeseliger.com and oh and i'll put links oh, we'll put into them the, yeah and i'm i'm on yeah. i'm on Substack called everything is an emergency i'm an emergency doc so that's feels appropriate um i don't know i guess i would just say ooh, this is like a little serious time is short man <laughs> it's like it's really it's really there's not a lot of time to do the things that you really care about um, with the people you care about. And it sounds super trite and cliche until you're suddenly staring down the barrel of it. So it's helpful to just, um, you know, I think about all those little like memento mores that people used to carry around in the Victorian yeah. era, um, to remind themselves of that. But like, just, I don't think, I don't think you need to have a little skull in your pocket to, to know that time is short, but it's important to remember that and just create accordingly. Thank you. We're trying. Thank you for doing this with us today. And thank you all for joining Bess and I. And keep on dreaming, guys. Thank you.